1: listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or
2: wherever you get your podcasts
3: I'm Davis Miller host of the new podcast The Tao of Muhammad Ali I met Ali in 1988 and surprisingly we became friends his influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ Listen to The Dial of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: I'm Julian Edelman from Games with Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to games with names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris
0: Mannix, and we have a terrific episode for you today. The Olympics are just days away, so what better time to check in with Jerry Colangelo, the director of USA Basketball. I talked to Jerry about the state of the program, dealing with some of the fears associated with playing in Rio and how he was able to mend the fence with Greg Popovich, who will take over as head coach in 2020. That and more next on the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix.
3: Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix, powered by digital media. Find your voice and now your host, Chris Mannix. Well, if you've only been
0: following USA Basketball for, say, the last 10 years, you would think that the program is the dominant force on the world stage. And it is, but it wasn't always. Back in the early 2000s, the program was in a state of complete disarray. In 2005, Jerry Colangelo, then best known as a Suns owner and executive, he took over as the director of USA Basketball. And over the last 11 years, the United States has reclaimed its place as the best basketball team in the world. And Jerry Colangelo joins me here on the podcast. Jerry, as a writer, I hate using devices like, if you knew 10 years ago what you knew now, what would you think? But I am curious what you would have thought of these results, the last two gold medals, when you took this job in 2005.
4: Well, I would have hoped that infrastructure had been put in place that was solid, that a culture had changed, that we had turned around a program, that players would have become really, really committed to representing their country, and that we would have won a lot of gold medals. And Chris, that's what's happened. You know, you can think about those things and and hope that they happen and have a game plan. Uh, But quite often, it doesn't happen necessarily. Uh, But I think we've been blessed in that sense. We've come a long way since 2004, when the uh, U.S. senior men's team finished third in the uh, olympics in athens and I, i'm proud of the accomplishment because so many people have been committed to the program
0: Yeah, one of your more notable accomplishments jerry with this program has been really reinvigorating interest from pros to compete at usa basketball it's why you've been able to survive the losses of of marquee players in in different years and still maintain mm-hmm. a place at the top I mean what was what was the turning point in that in the sense that what was the turning point in, in getting guys to to really want to be part of USA basketball again?
4: Well, first of all, when I was asked to take over the program, the first thing I, I did was take inventory and stock of what was happening elsewhere. There were some strong international programs, and they all related to players who had played together. Uh, for a number of years, even through the junior programs. And I'm referring to countries like Lithuania, Argentina, Spain, uh, France. And so that made sense to me. They also had national team rosters. It wasn't just a 12-man team. And so I wanted to institute something that they did, and that was the national team roster that created uh, a full pool of players and uh, gave us flexibility uh, with additions, deletions, and and then you could withstand uh, almost any distraction and have a depth chart uh, at each position. So we were able to do that. And then it took, you know, originally uh, me meeting with each player eyeball to eyeball and having a very frank discussion about first of all, why I was doing it, why it was important to me. This was a give back. Basketball had been such a, an important part of my life and it had been very good to me. And so if they wanted to be part of it, they had to agree to a commitment of three years at that time. They also uh, were told if you buy in, this will be one of the great experiences of your life. And I think to a man, those who have been part of our program and experience the culture and the winning etc uh it's been great for all of them
0: it was a real feather or it is a real feather in the cap of guys like LeBron and Chris Paul and certainly Carmelo Anthony who's you know still competing at the Olympics to be you know to have that kind of on their resume i mean these guys were part of of restoring usa basketball i mean it's not the same as a championship in the nba necessarily but You know, if you're looking at at lines on a resume, in my opinion, Jerry, that's right up there for those players to have done that.
4: Yeah, Chris, some of them actually put the uh, Olympic gold medal ahead of it, ahead of a championship. You know, it's so difficult to win an NBA championship because if you don't have two or three superstars on the same team, or back in the old days, if you didn't have one of those very few dominant centers, it didn't matter how great a player you might have been you It just wasn't in the cards you weren't going to experience an n b a championship, and so the gold medal creates a whole different circumstance and the reality that you're you know you've got u s a on your chest and you're out there on the international stage and an awful lot of exposure it's a big thing for each of them.
0: When you look back at the decision to hire Mike Krzyzewski as the head coach, as Mike enters his final turn here with USA Basketball, why was he the right guy for the job? A college coach, granted a very experienced one who, uh, who was as well-respected as anybody, but you know, wh- over the last you know, decade or so, why was he the right guy for the job?
4: Well, when I took the job myself, I called a meeting in Chicago of former Olympians coaches, going all the way back to 1960, all of the coaches who were there with the exception of uh, two. I had uh, maybe 20 Olympic players, and these were all the great names of the game, who came to Chicago, who were willing to participate. You know, they were all, you know, I had relationships with all of them. And we went through exactly what the lay of the land. I had each individual talk about their experience. I asked each of them, Um, what they thought needed to be done, what did they see. Then we talked about coaches, and I pasted them up on the board, and college coaches and pro coaches. And, you know, we all have moments, and there was a moment that took place when Dean Smith, former uh, coach at North Carolina, and, of course, he did coach an Olympic team, spoke out and said, you know, there's only one guy up there on the college side who could get the job done, and that's Coach K and his His opinion was based on relationships and the people he said, everybody knows him, believes in him. He's had so many players go to the pros. Uh, He had had some experience with uh, uh, USA basketball. In fact, a lot of years including as an assistant coach on the dream team, you know, in 92 on the pro side. Uh, Greg Popovich got more support than anyone else, and those were my two candidates going into the meeting. And I opted for Coach K. I just thought that might be as close as it was, that that might be my guy at that time. And it's not ironic. It's appropriate that Greg Popovich is the next coach after the uh, trip to Rio coming up.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about Popovich, but the the players really took... To Mike Shashevsky, and I always thought that part of it was you know these guys some of them you know didn't even play college ball some of them played for a year or two I always thought that you know deep down if they didn't play for Coach K they probably wanted to play for Coach K do you think that was a variable in in his being able to get these guys all on board with the program right away
4: I think that's a good point I think it's variable it's you know with each one of the guys there's there was probably something that really attracted them to uh to coach K. But it's he, he's such a leader. I mean, forget the coaching for the moment. As a communicator, as a leader, guys respect him and they're willing to, you know, do whatever's required or necessary. And uh it's been really interesting and amazing that he has remained in contact with all the players who have come through our system. Uh, it's really the creation of a family, and I give so much credit to Coach K for that.
0: Yeah, as we've noted, the program is deep, and you've got you're able to replace you know uh, guys bowing out with very capable players. But there are several members of that core group, as we mentioned, including LeBron and Chris Paul, who who bowed out this year. So didn't elite players like Russell Westbrook and Steph Curry. Was this year any more challenging than previous years? Putting the team together,
4: sure. Uh, No doubt about it. Uh, Interestingly, I've seen so many reports about those who are not playing, and I like to focus on those who have and are committed. But half of the guys who did not play, uh, who are not with us, are not here because of injuries. Mm -hmm. And that's not talked about very often, Uh, but that's the reality of it. We've always said the reason for the deep uh, pool concept is to to overcome injuries, contract negotiations, personal situation. You know, Curry called me a month and a half, two months ago, and almost in tears about the fact that he felt he had to pull out. Trust me, him playing in the Olympics was more than just being on a bucket list. He was really, for the last three, four years, this is what he's wanted. Mm-hmm. And uh, because his body was beat up and there was the possibility of surgery, postseason surgery, he had to pull out. He played hurt throughout the playoffs. And so, you know, you could understand a circumstance like that. Anthony Davis had two surgeries, and he's not going to be able to get on the floor until September. So, you know, each case is different, and you just have to play the cards that are dealt you. And thank goodness we have – uh, so much talent in the USA, and guys who want to play. So I'm thankful for that.
0: How much different? and Obviously, the roster looks different. But as you've you've discussed this team with Coach Ashevsky, how much different do you think the style of play is going to be in this Olympics with a different group?
4: Well, interestingly, each time we've uh, we've had a major competition, World Cup, World Championships. Uh, one and the same, by the way, just the, the name has changed from championship to world cup uh, and the Olympics. We've had, you know, some turnover and it's a healthy turnover. When you think about the number of people who wish to play, desire to play, if there wasn't turnover, that would be a real issue. Mm-hmm. So if you have four five or six, uh, you know, half the roster turnover each time, it's good for the program. So this time around, the makeup of the team and the strengths of the team are a little different. We happen to think that this could be maybe the best defensive team we've ever had just because of the uh, the makeup of the roster. When you have the versatility and the size and the length of uh, a number of people on the wings and the twos, that's a mark on this team. And the other thing is, We have two legitimate big men. You know, if you recall, I've always been asked in previous competitions, well, who are your bigs? Which bigs are going to play the bigs from the other countries, etc.? Uh, Well, DeAndre Jordan and Cousins uh, present their own unique uh, set of problems for whoever we're playing. And so I think the fact that we have the bigs, the fact that we have the defensive capacity, and the length and size of our of our wings uh, make us a little bit different.
0: When you look at the climate, Jerry, that both politically and medically, you didn't have you didn't have guys, as you mentioned, guys bowing out was was largely related to injuries. But the guys going, how have you addressed, you know, both the the threat of of the Zika virus and what I think is is maybe more significant in the minds of young players just you know the world we live in with with terrorism and and the possibility of of an attack down there
4: well, first of all, no one should live in a box you know, we live in troubled times in terms of the world, and we should be concerned for good reason. We do the best we can to circumvent whatever issues might come up. Number one, the Zika virus is something that was brand new to us, to most of us. And yet I read a few days ago that the Zika virus is more prevalent right now in Florida than it is in Rio. That's not publicized that much. Mm -hmm. I read about the virus in Nevada. So it's there. It's out there. You have to be prepared in in the sense of being educated. Uh, You do what you can in in the form of prevention. And so we've educated our people. We've been in contact with all the world health organizations, and we're taking preventative measures as it relates to the virus. As far as everything else is concerned, we will have incredible security. Uh, We feel very comfortable. We've been working on all of that for quite some time. And I think we feel, you know, we, we make decisions in life. We're willing to put ourselves out there and that's what's happened with this group.
0: Have you had players, player agents, the people around these guys reach out to you more in this year than in previous years about all the surrounding stuff?
4: I think the Zika virus probably was the only major, major difference, Mm. you know, in terms of, you know, people just didn't know, you know, they wanted to be educated more about it. And so, uh, there's been a lot of contact, but we've always had great contact and communication with the agents uh, and the players.
0: One of the guys coming back to USA Basketball now is Paul George. The horrific injury he suffered a couple of years back uh, at an exhibition game, uh, everyone knows about. When you were opening the dialogue with him about coming back, was it was it easy? Was it fast? Was there did there need to be some convincing? What were those conversations like?
4: Well, first of all, remember that on the night that it happened, you know, his horrific injury, you know, the circumstances were such that it was such a bad break. We we didn't know if he would even come back in terms of his career. Uh, He not only came back, he came back in spades. He's back as good or better than he's ever been. But we committed to him the night of the injury to say, Paul, we just want you to know this is out there you come back you're on this team no matter what so he knew he had this opportunity but he wanted to make it on his on merit and he did that in spades too
0: but he was motivated to come back as as soon as his career resumed i mean was there any hesitation on his part about coming back
4: no i don't think there was ever hesitation he didn't know you know obviously he was an unknown as to would he come back, how he would come back, would he be the same guy. And he kept overcoming those obstacles. And so his story is a great story. And I'll tell you, he looks he looks terrific right now.
0: There were some natural leaders on your previous teams. Uh, Jerry, you had you know, LeBron and Kobe and, and some of those other veteran guys that were part of USA Basketball. Uh, this team with, with its younger pieces there and sort of a, a newness to this team. Has there been anybody that's kind of emerged as as that vocal leader in this bunch?
4: Well, so not surprisingly. It's just the fact is, although he's n- not been known as this in the past, I'd say Carmelo. Carmelo is someone, obviously this is his what, fourth competition yep. as it relates to Olympics. And, you know, this is he's the senior citizen, if you will, but he thrives in international play. If you look at his production uh, on our teams, you know, he just uh, he loves playing with us because he has so much success. And he has been more vocal and he's been more vocal this year, obviously, on some social issues that are pretty relevant to not only athletes, but what's going on in our country, and um, actually, I'm very proud of where Carmelo is right now.
0: I know you've said in the past that that you're good with with athletes sort of taking these types of stands. Do you know of, or do you anticipate, on a world stage like the Olympics, um, these guys using that platform to make some kind of statement, whether it be about the world at large or something else?
4: Well, first of all, it's their decision as to what they wish to do. You're certainly aware of what took place at the ESPYs Mm -hmm. when four well-known NBA players uh, used that opportunity to make the statements they did. We're having a uh, town hall tomorrow here in Los Angeles. Uh, We play uh, China uh, today, and tomorrow there'll be a town hall that is being run by the players. Now, our coaching staff and myself have been requested to be there with them. But this is all being put together by Carmelo. And it's going to be with uh law enforcement people. It's all about a positive, let's talk about it, what can we do. And, you know, no one person can change the course. But if people come together, whether some individuals feel athletes are not role models or not, the people look up to them people do want to hear what they have to say. And I, and I think more and more are going to come out of the closet and, and do just that.
0: You've built a great program here with pros competing in Olympics, the way this format is. There's been some pushback from owners in the past. Mark Cuban has been kind of at the forefront on about changing, whether it's pros in the Olympics, establishing kind of a, a World Cup of NBA. Do you anticipate this format remaining the same for the foreseeable future? Or can you see there be some kind of sweeping changes?
4: Well, obviously, uh, with the new format that is in place, you know, FIBA uh, and the NBA have agreed to a change in format. Rather than the World Cup taking place in two years, in 2018, the Olympics in 2020, it's now going to be uh, 2019 for the World Cup in 2020 for the Olympics, and uh, 17 and 18 are more about qualifiers. And this program is to raise the bar in terms of interest internationally. So the format has already changed, and if you call it the soccer model, which has basically adopted uh, going to young players for Olympics but wanting the pros in the World Cup, it's a bigger business for the uh people involved it's a bigger pot and i think there's some commitment here that that's where it will be but at my age chris <laughs> i'm not going to worry about it because that's <laughs> going to be 10 to 20 years down the road
0: you mentioned greg Popovich and his taking over as the head coach for the 2020 olympics um you know it's well reported that there was some you know friction between you and pop in the past that's that's clearly Uh, behind you now. Can you just sort of articulate kind of the process of getting Greg Popovich on board? Was it a difficult one? Was there some hatchet burying that needed to be done?
4: Well, it wasn't difficult, but it was important that we get together and bury the past. And that's what took place a year ago. I called Pop, uh, invited him to a meeting in Carmel, California. And after, you know, a lunch, the past was buried. And uh, we cleared the air, I cleared the air, regarding my choice of Coach K and the discussion of comments that I had made about I I had not felt I had received a positive response from Pop on the phone. And that wasn't what he believed took place. And so I apologized for that. We buried it. And then I offered him the job. And he said, you know, I want to think about it. He called me a couple of months later and said, uh, if you still want me, I'll do it. I never thought I'd have this opportunity, uh, but I have a condition. And I said, what's that? He says that you stay. And he wanted me to be there with him alongside him. And uh, I'll tell you, we had him in training camp this past week up in Vegas. And I will tell you, this transition is going to be seamless. He, He saw everything that. Uh, We've done the infrastructure in place, and uh, he was very complimentary. He says, you know, I I knew the two of you had done a great job. I didn't know how good until he, he saw it and felt it. And like he said, there's not very much for him to do except keep the train going in the same direction. And that goes back to the infrastructure we set out to put in place. Uh, it's a very, very strong program.
0: Did you discuss just how long Pop would be the head coach of this team?
4: No, just basically that uh, I wanted him to be the next coach. You know, when when Coach K was selected, there wasn't any game plan that he would do it twice or three times. Mm-hmm. It was just that he was the next coach, and that's that's strictly how I would prefer to do it.
0: Is this, you talked about not being there in 10 or 15 years. Do you know how long you're going to be in this position?
4: Well, my decision has been that I will finish in 2020 in Tokyo. I'll be at an age where it's time to to move on. And, you know, in the perfect world, Chris, Pop will be the new leader as it relates to coaching. Coach K will assist me over the next four years. Pop has made it very clear he would love to have Coach K as involved as he wants to be, uh, not on the coaching side, but in terms of understanding the business. And I would love to see him replace me when, when my time comes.
0: How competitive has it been with those assistant coaching jobs? I mean, I, I go around the NBA and I hear, you know, I just sort of ask, you know, head coaches if they would have any interest in being. An assistant on USA Basketball, and every time I hear a resounding yes. How competitive have those positions been?
4: Well, I'm not sure it's competitive. What it is, is it's so inviting as it relates to coaches who want to be part of a program like this and have that experience. And so it's wonderful to be in that kind of a position. And, you know, we, we have had a, a turn of... Some coaches, when you think about those who have been with our program on the pro side and the requirement for some of those spots to be nCAA people that 's part of the bylaws of of USA basketball and that probably has to be addressed also uh, when you consider these are all uh, you know professional players, there needs to be a little bit more emphasis on uh, on the pro coaches who would be assistants
0: so you 'd like to see more. NBA coaches as assistants. I think so,
4: yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Would you look back at at your tenure here, are there any regrets that you have, anything you've done in the last 12 years, whether it's not being able to get a certain player on board or uh, something else, anything you would have done differently?
4: Well, it's pretty hard to talk about regrets. I don't have any. I have one disappointment. We have one loss. (laughs) I know we've won everything else, but the one loss is still there. It's been such a wonderful experience. I remember in '08 when we won the uh, one in Beijing at a moment, another moment in time when the star spangled banner was being played, the gold medals were being placed around the necks of our players and uh, the flag was being raised. For me, it was a moment of total fulfillment because, you know, it's one thing to have a uh, vision Uh, uh, to have a plan, but not everyone has the opportunity to see it all happen. And at that moment, it all came to fruition. And it was very, very, you know, it it was a a great moment for me and our program. And it's been nothing but that since that time. So there's not much to talk about in the way of regret, just thanks.
0: I always wondered if, if Tim Duncan would ever come back over the last 10 plus years. That's the one guy Jerry that was out there as, you know, one of the greats of that generation. I was wondering if you could ever get him back.
4: Well, the problem was he didn't have any success in international play. His game did not lend itself to success and he was very frustrated. You know, that was before my time, but that's what I've been told from, you know, all the guys who were around at that time. You know, the officials made different calls the game was more different between the two set of rules. You know, the international rules have moved toward our rules in the NBA. And so because of his experience, he just wasn't motivated to want to participate. And so, you know, these are individual choices. You know, he was asked a couple of times and, you know, he turned it down and and that's fine. We just move on.
0: Before Kobe Bryant came out publicly and said that he wasn't going to play this year, did you, I mean, what was your mindset on Kobe? He's clearly not at this point one of the, you know, quote unquote 10 best players or whatever in basketball. But did you, I mean, what was your position on Kobe?
4: Well, first of all, my experience with Kobe in USA basketball was terrific. I remember my first meeting with him after he had scored 81 was it in, in a game do yeah. you remember that
0: yeah against toronto
4: yeah they he came to phoenix and uh, i was still you know the owner and of uh, the phoenix suns and he came up to my office and i said kobe you know what if i asked you to be a distributor and not a scorer on this team and i was just pulling his leg more than anything else and he said, look, I'll do anything you want me to do. I just want to be part of USA Basketball. And also, if you recall, his first practice with us, he went diving for a loose ball to set the tone uh, for who we were going to be as a team. And just his work ethic, being down in the weight room at the hotel at 6.30, a quarter, to seven every morning, it started out with he alone, and by the end of that first camp, more than half the team was down there with him. He was a, a great player for us. I enjoyed the relationship with he and USA Basketball immensely. And, and uh, there was part of me that would have liked to have seen him be part of this team, this go-around. But he made it clear to me. He said, I want to be able to make it on my own merit, Period. And uh, and I think he realized that uh, he wasn't going to be able to cut that this time.
0: Before I let you go, Jerry, I got to ask you about you. You also took on a role last year in the NBA again uh, with Philadelphia. How much, if at all, did that complicate things for you as it pertains to kind of working both you know, both for USA Basketball and the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers?
4: Well, there were some some people in the league, owners, friends of mine who got a little nervous that I was going to use that platform to my advantage. And those who knew me a little bit more intimately knew that would never be the case. You know, I told Pop, if you think I had a problem, can you imagine the problem you're going to have when you're you're coaching all these guys? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we live in a, a competitive world, and in the NBA, everyone is as nervous as you could be And everyone's looking for an edge, and everyone's concerned about everyone else's edge. But I I didn't let any of that bother me. I haven't done anything different than I ever had, and that's over a decade now. And part of the reason we're successful is is because I do it the way I do.
0: Do you aspire to, to do more in the NBA in the aftermath of, you know, you've been an owner, as you mentioned. You've been an executive. You're involved with... With the 76ers is is that on your radar whether it's getting back into ownership or or some other nba kind of role down the road
4: actually not and i and i say that because i have been blessed with you know over 50 years in the nba and i've you know i've scouted i've coached i've managed i've owned uh and for me at this stage because of my you know vast experiences to be in a advisory capacity, and that's really all I am with Philadelphia, is is actually keeps me involved. But it's really the extent of where I should be. Uh, over the years, uh, before I even joined Philadelphia, I've offered myself when people have called to uh, to help owners, to help managers, the general managers, whenever they had questions or wanted advice, because. I have been a lifer. I love the game. I love the league. I would do just about anything to help people uh, be successful in basketball. So uh, I think at this stage of my life, that's exactly where I fall.
0: Are you okay with how that whole Sixers situation kind of went down with, you know, you take over in a role there. uh, Sam Hankey resigns. It it, it sort of, it became kind of a, a national story for a while, what was going on. In Philadelphia. I mean, when you look back at the last six months or so there, I mean, how do you feel about what went down?
4: Well, I think everyone may have opinions about what what transpired. And uh, I would just say that I was surprised and uh, taken back when when Sam stepped down and how he stepped down. When I was hired, it was basically to advise as to what might be done to go forward with the franchise because it was in dire straits at the time. So I never anticipated uh, that kind of an outcome, but that's what took place.
0: Well, Jerry, congratulations on the success of USA Basketball the last uh, decade plus. Uh, should be a fun experience in Rio. Who, who, before, Let me ask you this, too. When you look at the competition, anyone, who, who's the team out there that kind of makes you a little nervous?
4: They all make me nervous. <laughs> After a loss to Greece back in 06, uh, in You know, we take each one of them, quite honestly, as uh, it's us against the world. It's us against them. Here's the way I would describe our competition. The biggest competition we have is ourselves. If we focus on what we have to do, if we are playing anywhere close to our capacity, you know, that's all we have to worry about. It doesn't matter who's wearing a uniform or or what country they represent. Uh, We have the talent. And if our commitment is focused, uh, we're going to come out successful.
0: Well, Jerry, I appreciate it. Good luck in Rio. And I appreciate taking some time here on the podcast.
4: All right, Chris. Thanks a lot.
0: My thanks to my guest, USA Basketball Director Jerry Colangelo. If you want to download this podcast or any of my archive podcasts, you can check them out on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, really anywhere you can download podcasts. If you have time, give us a rating, leave a comment. You know we appreciate it here. Also, please check out the Vertical Podcast with JJ Redick and the Vertical Podcast with Woj. And I'll talk to you next week.
3: This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.